this month, I, I, I debated Pastor Don's last sermon series in September, and um, and so October is Pastor Appreciation Month, so I really wanted to uh, do my best to honor him and the foundation he laid for me. Um, I worked with him for 15 years, and uh, and he let me grow up here. I was 20, 24 years old, I think, uh, when I started here, and uh, and he let me grow up. A lot of guys would have fired me, and I'm not going to tell you why. You have to guess that. But a lot of guys would have fired me a couple times. Uh, but he didn't, and he let me grow up, and and I appreciate that so much. And so I wanted to honor him in October, November. Uh, didn't seem like the right time to do it. Uh, we were doing the ceremonially doing the transition at the end of November, and then I thought maybe I'll put this off till January. Uh, but I really, I really felt like we need to end the year with a huge boost of momentum. Amen. Um, now, I'm excited to be the lead pastor. I, I really am. I, I've got a cautious excitement about it. But I believe that we have a window of opportunity. And I said that last week. Uh, a, a leadership study we did, uh, there's a quote that said, the opportunity of a lifetime is seized in the lifetime of the opportunity. And that, and that you get a certain amount of time. And what I believe is that God has assembled the people here, the talent, the resources, the drive, the dedication. He's assembled it at this time to accomplish a great thing. And I know, I know for years when I started out here, it was like, well, we're, you know, we're going to do the best we can. We're a little church out in Hedgesville. And, and I, I used to be almost offended when people would drive out here from the city and be like, man, you guys are out here. And I think, well, we sort of are, but it was almost like you're so far out here, God can't really do anything. How many of you know his arm is not too short? And so I want to talk to you this month. Listen, you cannot miss a Sunday this month. For those of you that come once a month or twice a month, be here. Be here every Sunday this month. It's going to be important. I, I plan on laying out. What I believe God has given me is a future of Hedgesville Church and, and what it's going to look like. I had a conversation with a great couple last night over dinner. Um, and I don't, they weren't falling asleep when I was talking about it, so I think that was a good thing, right? Uh, but I believe this. I believe God has given us something that is worth replicating. And that we can do it as far and wide as he'll give us the strength to do it. And, and the, the thing is, is I know what Jesus said to the disciples. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you to be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And I'll be with you through the whole thing all the way to the end. And so why wouldn't we go there? Why wouldn't we push that far? Why wouldn't we trust him? Amen? Amen. And so I kind of want to lay that out this month. Yeah. Thank the four people that started back there. That was awesome. I want to lay that out for you this month. There's a couple, couple topics I want to talk about. But I believe this is our time. I believe God has set us up for it. I believe God has assembled the right people to be in leadership. I believe God has prepared us. And in the, in the words of, our, uh, of, a, of a mentor of mine, 
he'd say, Chris, anytime I would complain, Chris, God uses prepared people. And I'd be like, but it's true. But the issue is, is you don't always realize you're prepared for it. So I want to convince you of that today. You're prepared. And God has placed you where you're at, the position you're at on purpose, for his purpose at this time. And I believe, I believe God is doing something here in the hearts and lives of people that he wants to replicate. And, and we're going to push this forward. And I want to share that with you this month. So if you could, let's stand up one more time. We're going to read from the book of Esther. By the way, uh, all of our electricity works. All of our network is back up. Uh, Several people that came up this week and gave us a hand figuring all that out. It blew all the exterior light circuit out. Um, So if you came here Wednesday night, it was pitch black outside. I was afraid I was going to get mugged by a church person. Like, you just never know. You walk around the corner, there's somebody like, ah... Uh, but we, it's all back up and working. We had to replace a few lights and replace a few wires. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, it's up and running. We're excited about that. So you can get on uh, version right now, the Bible app, and you can go to the events uh, section, and you can follow along. My notes are in there. Uh, connect group questions, the uh, scripture, all that stuff's in there. So I encourage you to do that. Let's read from Esther chapter Four, verses 1, starting in verse 1. It says, When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went into the city, wailing loudly and bitterly. But he went, on, but he went only as far as the king's gate, because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's eunuchs and female attendants came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. And then Esther summoned Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, assigned to her, and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate and Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews he also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation which had been published in Susa to, to show to Esther and explain it to her and he told him to instruct her to go to the, into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead for him for her people. And Hathak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. And then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the golden scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called into the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back his answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house or that you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows 
but that you have come into your royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. And when this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Father, we thank you. This morning, your word has infinite ability to change us. We pray that it would do that today. Thank you for it. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. And amen. Turn around and tell somebody, this is our time. This is our time. Give you a little background on this. If you read Esther chapters 1, 2, and 3, you're going to find that it starts out with King Xerxes, and he had a queen named Vashti, and and um, she displeased the king. He didn't have her killed, but he, but he banished her from his presence. And, and so uh, after there was no queen, um, there was a great search that went on all through the land. And, and the Jews were exiled into this land. And you might have remembered a couple, maybe uh, a month ago or so, we talked about um, Daniel and Nehemiah and all that stuff. Well, this is in the same time frame. And so the Jews are in exile. And they searched throughout the land and, and gathered up all the young, beautiful ladies. I know, the Bible has a lot of great stories in it. But in search for a queen, they gathered up all the young ladies. And in that kind of queen roundup, if you want to call it that, they rounded up a girl named Esther. Now, Esther is not from the right pedigree to be queen. She's actually a Jew. And her cousin Mordecai, who was a good bit older than her, uh, was raising her, and her parents had died. So she was an orphan in a foreign land, and now she's been rounded up, and she's being prepared to meet the king. And the Bible talks about months and months and months of preparation. Uh, before uh, these women went before the king. Well, lo and behold, um, Esther is more appealing to the king than any of the other women. And so he takes her into his court and he makes her queen. I don't know about you, but that's a long distance from being an orphaned Jewish exile to queen, isn't it? That's a long distance road. But God saw fit to get her there. And if you read, I believe, in chapter 3, you'll see that, you'll see, chapter 2 and 3, you'll see that Mordecai and Esther had already foiled one plot uh, that, was, that was made to assassinate the king already. So they had already worked together to do this. Enter a man named Haman, who's evil at the core. He gets promoted, and in his promotion, there's a decree sent out that everybody has to, all the officials, when they come in, have to bow down to him. And everybody does except Mordecai. Because Mordecai is a follower of the one true God, and he's not going to kneel down before Haman or anyone else. And so this causes a great stir in the kingdom. And Haman goes to Xerxes and says, Listen, there's a Jew named Mordecai who will not bow. And... The issue was, he didn't just see fit to have Mordecai killed, he wanted to annihilate all the Jews. So he went to Xerxes, 
And he says, this is what I'd like you to do. I'm willing to put my own money, a huge lump sum of my own money in the royal treasury if you allow me to carry on with this. And so the king says, keep your money. Do what you want to do. It's not a big deal. And so an edict had went out through all the land that on a very specific day, all the Jews would be annihilated. Now that sounds crazy, but back then, it wasn't that crazy. It was real. It was going to happen. What would happen next is what we pick up on in chapter 4, where Esther finds herself queen to King Xerxes, who issued the edict. Now, she had found favor with the king, and she had been in his presence. The issue now is, as we read, that it had been a month since she had seen him. Now, can I just say this wasn't like a modern marriage? If the king didn't call for you, you couldn't just show up. Matter of fact, Esther replies to Mordecai in their communication between each other. And she says, you do realize that if I go before him and he doesn't raise his golden scepter to approve me in his presence, I'm going to be dead. And by the way, he has not asked for me in the last 30 days. So I don't even know if he remembers me. So this is a huge issue, Mordecai. I don't know. I don't know if I could do this. This is this is serious business. So. I want to pull out a few things from this story this morning in light of us moving forward in what God has called us to do. Because it's one thing, like, like I've got three kids and a wife, and, and, and it's one thing if I wake up in the morning and say, Beth, kids, gather around. Your father has a, a great idea for what we're going to do today. It's... 30 degrees out this morning, whatever. We're going to put on our running shorts, which I don't even know if we own any of those. And our running shoes, we're going to hike the tallest mountain around. Now, I probably have one kid that would be interested in that. The other ones would be like, are you crazy? So, I want to convince you this morning that if you're sitting within the sound of my voice, God has called you. That if you showed up this morning, it was not by accident, it was on purpose. And God has called you to his, to accomplish his will in your life. And the issue is I can stand up here week after week and tell you that, but until you believe it, it won't change anything. And so, and so my job, I believe for at least the next four weeks after that, you can hopefully you'll buy in, is to convince you that I believe you're here on purpose for this time. This is our time. And we're going to take advantage of it. Amen? Promotion always has a purpose. Did you realize that? You thought it was just to bring more money into the bank. But promotion, in God's eyes, always has a purpose. You never see God promoting people and just saying, man, I just thought I'd give you, give you a promotion. Oh, there's nothing... Just thought I'd give you a promotion. There's always a purpose in the next step that God lets us take. There's always, if he's directing our steps, it's for a reason. 
if everything, if, if God just wanted to leave it up to chance, he could just leave it up to chance. If you get promoted, you get promoted. If not, not, it's not that big a deal. We'll just take it as it comes and easy come, easy go. But no, the Bible says that he'll, he'll direct the steps of a righteous person. And if he's directing your steps, that means if you're promoted, it's for a purpose. Amen. That, that you didn't just, that you didn't just get there for no reason. If, if you're, if you're praying, God, I need you to direct my steps. Lord, I want you to promote me. And it happens that I believe there's a reason for it. And you see, in this case, Esther goes from an orphan Jewish girl who's being raised by her cousin to the biggest palace in the land. She's queen. And God had a specific purpose for that promotion. I believe when we're promoted, it should always be looked at through the lens of purpose. What does God want me to do now? How does he want me to operate now? Now, I need you to understand something because some of you are in the middle between where you're at and you're getting ready to get promoted. You just don't understand it yet. Watch this. It almost never makes sense, the purpose, the purpose down here. So the promotion and the purpose are down here. It almost never makes sense during the process. Did you hear that? It almost never makes sense during the process because I don't know what the process is leading to. All I can do in the process is, as, is has, have confidence that God's purpose will be revealed in the promotion. But here's where we get stuck in the process, right? Could you imagine being pulled out of your home? First of all, your parents have both uh, died. It doesn't say how. But you're an orphan. You're being raised by your cousin and, and you're in a land that's not your own. Your whole family's been exiled. And, and, and you're not in a great place. And then you're pulled out of that environment. And I, can I just... This is probably a bad observation. But could you imagine... Be, I mean, it'd be like a beauty contest. And I heard those things were brutal. Could you imagine pulled out of a loving, I mean, it says Mordecai cared for her and, and was, and was concerned about her even when she was in the, in the king's palace. So could you imagine the jockeying for position and, and everybody, all these women want to be queen and, and Esther is thrust into the middle of this. Could you imagine? It never makes sense during the process. What I want to tell you this morning, if you haven't gotten to the promotion yet, Keep going. Because if you stop in the middle of the process, it will never make sense. It's only through the process, 12 months of beauty treatments. (laughs) Think about this. God is spending time in the process making us look more like Christ. And if you want to call that beauty treatments, then go ahead and label it that. But there's a refining fire. Didn't Job talk about it? I don't know where he is. I can't find him. I look to the north, the south, the east, and the west. I don't know where he is. But he knows the steps that I take. Why did he know the steps that Job take? Because he ordered them. And in the process, it didn't make sense. But Job had confidence that after the process, after the beauty treatments were over, 
that when he got the promotion, it would make sense at the end because the purpose would reveal itself. So what happens in the process, Job said, when he has tried me, I will be pure as gold. So, so look at your neighbor and say, man, we're, we're, I'm in a beautification process right now. Tell them I'm in a beautification process. I know it might look like I've got a, a cucumber mask on right now, but, but trust me, God's making me better. It never makes sense in the middle, does it? Well, God, why would you pull me out? After all I've been through, why would you do this to me? Why, why, I've got to keep a secret who I really am. Mordecai said, don't you dare tell them that you're a Hebrew. It never makes sense in the middle. Never makes sense when it's, when the beautification is happening. But when the promotion actually comes, the purpose follows. And then the light bulb kicks on, right? Oh, God, I see what you were trying to do here. Sorry I bucked you so hard, you know, with the olive oil baths. Sorry I kicked and screamed so hard when you were trying to make me more like Christ. Don't we kick the hardest in the process? We fight the hardest in the process. Because what he's doing is he's pulling out that stuff that is unappealing to the king. He's like, now now listen, you can't smell like that when you get in front of the king. I know that's real popular right now with young girls. But you you can't smell like that when you get in front. We've got to put the fragrance on you that the king likes. And so in the process, you're thinking, why would I go through all this? Why would I suffer through all this? Why would I keep going? Because there's purpose in the promotion. There's purpose later. And it rarely ever makes sense in the process. But God is making you beautiful in his sight. Amen? Amen. Come on, I look out and I see beautiful people. No chuckles? I see beautiful people. God is, God is making us more like Christ. All right, so watch this. They go through this process. Esther is picked. And, and there's this edict decreed. And, and, and now the annihilation of the Jews is set in stone. On this day, it's going to happen. All, everybody's going to die. Mordecai does something that I want to point out here. It says that he put on sackcloth and ashes and sat outside the gate. Now, when Esther found out what he was going through and what what had been decreed, she tried to send him clothes to get him dressed up. The reason why is because he couldn't go any farther than that. He couldn't get any more access than that when he was dressed uh, in sackcloth and ashes. That was just a representation of somebody mourning, of somebody in deep sorrow. And actually, as the edict went out all through the kingdom, Jews all over the kingdom were doing the same thing. Mordecai says, listen, I can't straighten up. I can't straighten up right now. This is too serious of a deal. I can't just act like it's not happening. I, I, I am sorrowful for our future, and I can't just stand up and put good clothes on and act like it's okay. Let me say this. More opportunities, I believe, are missed because of indifference than are being ill-equipped. Did you hear that? I believe the church misses more opportunities that God puts in front of us because we're indifferent to it 
then we are ill-equipped. Because the, the beautiful thing about God is He's equipping you while you don't even know it. And so when we run around acting like we're not ready for it, God's saying, that's what I've been doing. And you're like, that's why, that's the argument we've been having. That's the, that's the conversation that we've been having with each other. And you keep saying, God, why are you doing this to me? And I'm trying to tell you that I can't tell you yet because the promotion's coming, then you'll understand it later. But, but you keep saying that I don't understand, I don't understand, I don't understand, but I'm trying to get you ready for when the opportunity comes. But what we do is as he's preparing us, we can become indifferent to it, can't we? Maybe Esther was in the safety of the, of the palace and thought, maybe this, won't, maybe this won't reach me. Mordecai, on the other hand, was outside the gate and knew he was in the crosshairs. And he said, I can't just get up and put new clothes on. I can't act like this isn't impacting a whole nation of people. I can't act like it's, it's not as serious as it is. And can I say this, church? Our, our vision is to serve, save, shape. We're going to serve people. Jesus said, whatever you do, the least of these you've done, you've done to me. We're going to serve our community. And, and we do that well. We're going we're gonna to preach the gospel. We're going to introduce people to Christ. We're going to see them save their lives, transform through the power of Jesus Christ. And then we're going to shape, serve, save, shape, shape committed servants. It's like the cyclical thing, right? You're like, oh, now we shape them. What do they do? Walk off the cliff? No, they come back and serve. So, so we, do, we do this. The most dangerous thing that can happen to us is becoming indifferent to what is happening to the people around us. Because if we're safe in the confines of the church and we've got all of our relationships in the confines of the church and we, and we just, we come to connect group. We love every man. This is so great. We're learning the Bible and this is cool and I feel good about it. And the people are dying around us. Then we're missing it, but it's not because we're ill prepared. It's because we're indifferent. Can I just be honest with you? It's easy to become that way, isn't it? It's easy to become that way. I was working in my garage this week, and I'm, uh, to be honest with you, I've really been doing it so my wife is happy with me. Uh, I like organization to a point, but I heard messy people are smarter, so I'm just like, just leave it messy a little bit. Um, so at least there's an appearance of intelligence in my house. So I've been out organizing things, and, and I built a ball organizer the other day, bungee cords and all that stuff, and I couldn't wait till my wife got home. I was like, man, I built an organizer for the, for the soccer balls and the footballs. It's amazing. And I built an organizer for the, for the tubes of caulk. I did. I've got my extension cords hanging up on the wall instead of wherever they were before. <laughs> and I can get in my little place and create my own little world and be totally isolated and insulated from everything that is happening. You realize we have epidemics in this county. 
Realize we have drug epidemics in this county that impact this church. That people are suffering. People are dying. Do you realize that, that, that our neighbors are suffering? And yet, so often what we do is say, don't be so sad about that. Just come on, put on some good clothes. I mean, I know at this church we call these nice clothes. But my fear is, is that we're not missing the opportunity because we're ill-prepared. We're missing it because we're indifferent. And Mordecai said, I will not take another step until we figure out what to do here. This is too important. The lives are on the line, and this is too important. This is the time God gave us. This is it. He's saying, he's saying, listen, if the preparation didn't make sense, now the promotion has to make sense. He says, you're on the inside and I'm on the outside. Yeah, I'm going to die first, but they're going to get to you eventually. You see, you see, as long as we're on the inside, we think, well, whatever happens out there, God will, like, what, what, what do we say, man, put a hedge of protection around us. And I know that's in the, in the Bible, but it's just weird to me because I never thought hedges were that protective. Um, and we'll pray, Lord, put a hedge of protection around me. You know what I say to my kids more than that? I say the gospel's dangerous. I don't want God to put a hedge of protection around us. I want us to seize the opportunity. Amen? Listen, if you'll seize the opportunity, God will protect you as long as he needs to. Isn't that true? If you're going to make the most impact, I don't want a hedge of protection around this church. I want this church moving forward as fast as we can possibly move forward. God, protect us while we run. So if that means the hedge has to run, then I guess make the hedge run with us. What is this like? We're going to just sit and be indifferent to everybody that's suffering. And Mordecai said, I can't do that. I can't do that. Mordecai says, I see what the preparation is for. I see it now. And I'm not letting this time go. I'm not going to have this on my head. I'm not going to waste the opportunity you've put in front of us. I'm, I'm mourning for a reason. Jesus went through the towns and villages. It says in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. It says he went through the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds... He told the disciples, stay away from them, they're dirty. He didn't. What did he say? He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his field. You know what the thing about a harvest is? There's a timeline on harvesting. And if you show up too late to the harvest, it'll be rotten on the stalk. The church can't afford to be indifferent. The church can't afford not to move forward. The church can't afford not to realize that what he's been preparing us for has a purpose over here. He's prepared us. And the thing that stops us oftentimes is the indifference to what he's prepared us for. 
Could you imagine this? Could you imagine being the best football player the world has ever seen, but not liking football? I'm sure it's happened. I'm sure some of the most athletic people ever on the planet that could have went into the NFL and been the best football player ever went, ah, I don't really like the helmets. They were indifferent to the sport, and so you never saw it. And what I don't want to see is one of the best churches ever Some of you are like, well, I was at a church last week that was kind of not just, no, it's not. (laughs) That we miss an opportunity because we're indifferent. God has given us all the skill, all the ability, all the talent, every resource we need in the house to make an impact outside the house. But if we miss the time because of indifference, none of it will matter. And you see churches, we quoted it a couple weeks ago, 80% of churches are plateaued or declined, not because God won't equip them, because, but I believe because they're indifferent to what God has called them to. We can't make a change. What you heard Pastor Ken say it last week, right? These are my rights. I'm indifferent to yours. He called Esther for this time. And Mordecai said, I cannot let you go with a blind eye towards this thing. I know all the preparation didn't make sense, but now that you've got the promotion, I see the purpose behind it. And so I'm not going to just walk away and act like none of this happened. I'm not going to walk away and act like God didn't put you there on purpose. And as your pastor, I'm not going to do it either. I'm not going to stand up here every Sunday and go, oh, just forget it, man. You got a promotion, whatever. No, there's purpose behind it. There's purpose behind what you're walking through. There's purpose behind where he's taking you. There's purpose behind how he's preparing you. You want to get a head start on it? You start analyzing, analyze the last six months of your life and say, you know what, man, maybe I've been walking through some difficulties. Could it just be, maybe, that God is preparing my faith to do something incredible for him? Could it be that he's preparing me to trust him like I've never trusted him before? And you know what? We make the mistake all the time. Lord, give me more faith. And we think he's going to send it to us in a UPS box already wrapped. Like, well, I ordered my faith from Amazon and it showed up on, you know, Amazon Prime and I got it the next day. I don't know about you, but that's not the way you get it. So the preparation... When he has tried me, when, he, when I'm finished the beautification process, then the promotion will make sense for the purpose. So Mordecai says, listen, Esther, you can't just overlook this. I'm not going to put these clothes on. I'm not going to just act like it's not happening. Esther actually had the position, but Mordecai saw the purpose. You know, oftentimes we need people to walk into our lives like that. Like, we don't even realize it sometimes. We've been prepared. God gives a promotion. And we're just like, man, this is really neat. And then somebody, God moves his hand and somebody walks into your life and says, I believe you're here for this reason. And then the whole thing just opens up. You ever had that experience before? Like that one moment where you go, I realize now why all that other stuff happened. That's a great day. 
Here's the main point that I want you to understand. Every purpose has a timeline. Every single purpose has a timeline. Every promotion has a timeline. The recognition that your position is for a purpose and that purpose has a timeline will motivate you to action. Did you hear that? There, there's a good, good thing called a deadline. Anybody like those? If you're at work and the boss says, look, the deadline is next Tuesday. You know what that will make you do? It'll make you work. <laughs> Isn't that a, nov- a novelty? Like, oh, wow. How do we get these people to work? We tell them there's something due at a specific time. Monday at four o'clock. So you know what will happen? You'll stay up all night tonight. Some of you are like, oh, he knows me. (laughs) But without that deadline, it might be a Netflix marathon. (laughs) Somebody say amen. Amen. Isn't Netflix great? (laughs) It's killing us all slowly. Good thing my watch says, Chris, get up, breathe. Because I'd sit and watch Netflix and be like, I don't even know what's going on. I forgot to breathe. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Our society. we got to have watches that tell us to breathe and stand up. Because Netflix is doing the exact opposite to all of us. The same internet that's killing us is telling us to get healthy. <laughs> that was free advice. Deadlines are important. Uh, I'm not. I'm not real good at issuing deadlines, because I, I like. I just feel like I want to be like, oh man, I trust you. You'll get it done. But deadlines are important, and the reason your employer, or maybe you're, you're, you're the employer. The reason you set deadlines is because it motivates people to action. It motivates people to get up off of their butt and make something happen. And the and the sooner the deadline, the harder you'll work. Because if you're like me, if the deadline is two months from now, you're like, ah. I mean, I got like seven weeks before I need to even start on this thing, right? You know what was, you know what was crazy about this story? There was a hard deadline when they were going to annihilate the Jews. And Mordecai knew it. You see, when you set a deadline, you can't be indifferent. This family's working on social studies fair projects recently and science fair projects. You know what I'm talking about, right? That thing's coming whether your kid worked on it or not. And then the fury of mom and dad like, what? It's tomorrow. And the kid goes to bed going, I got him again. They did it for me again. This is so awesome. I'm going to get through high school doing this over and over again, right? No, in real life, what happens is you fail. But I can't let my kid fail because a teacher will think I'm a bad parent. And the reality is I am a bad parent because I did it for them. Right? And then you get to the place where you're like, just take the essay, kid. Listen, there is a Timeline. There was a deadline on when this was going to happen, and it motivated 
them to action. One of the things about the church that we need to be careful with is that Jesus didn't say on January 17th, 2017, I'm coming back. He didn't say that. And if you read a book that says that, he didn't say that. But he said, you have to work while it's daylight. Because there's going to become a time, there's coming a time where there's not going to be any daylight anymore and you can't harvest at night. So he said, in essence, I'm not going to tell you exactly when the deadline is, but I'm going to tell you there is a deadline. And the worst part is, it could be any moment. Now, let me, let me say this. If your boss said to you, there's going to be a presentation sometime next week. But I don't know when it is yet. It's going to be spur of the moment, and you have to be ready for it. You don't have the luxury to wait. You have to be ready for it at the beginning of next week. You have to get ready. That's what God has done with the church. He's saying, listen, I'm coming back. But no man knows the hour. No man knows the time or day. It's not revealed to anyone else but me. I know. He said, I know when I'm coming and that's it. And this is your responsibility. When I come back, be doing what I've prepared you to do. Take advantage of the time I have given you. This is your time to shine. So I started thinking. I just turned 40 years old. Unless you're a Murphy, that's half of your life is over. We just celebrated Mary's 100th birthday a couple weeks ago. I'm like, man, if I could live to be 100, I'm not even middle-aged yet. But typically, and I started thinking, God, help me take advantage of this time. Like Mordecai and Esther did, help me take advantage of it. Don't let this time pass me by. After you've prepared me, after you've promoted me, after you've given me a purpose, after it's all been revealed, after it started making sense, don't let me be indifferent to it. Let me take advantage of it. This is our time. And Mordecai sends a message to Esther, and even though she she initially didn't want to accept it, she was like, I can't go before the king. He hasn't called me since the last 30 days. I can't do it. This is what Mordecai says. Don't think that just because you're in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from, from another place. Did you hear that? If 80% of the churches in the United States are either plateaued or declining, it does not mean the gospel will not go forward. It means God will find some place else to do it. So the issue is this church is not guaranteed anything unless we do the will of God. Unless we take advantage of the time that he's given us. This is our time. Look at your neighbor and say, this is our time. This is our time. And he said, I will be with you always until the end of the earth because I've empowered you to be my witness. And what Mordecai told Esther was, you can stay in that palace and you can ignore this. 
But you and your family are going to suffer for it. And at the end of that, he's going to raise up someone else to do it anyway. My prayer is that there never has to be someone else do the job I was called to do. Amen? Come on. You are the one that got the promotion. Don't wait on somebody else to come alongside and do it. Mordecai said, you think you might be insulated from this. But I can tell you this, God's going to raise up somebody. And then he says this, and who knows? But that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. He said, I know the process didn't make sense. But you're the one that got the promotion. And now we see God's purpose behind it. God has given us this window. Esther replies back to him, all right, I'll do it. And at the end of the day, if I die, I die. But I'm going to do what God's called me to do. And so she goes before the king, and you can read the rest of it in the book of Esther. It ends up working out well. And here's what I want to tell you this morning. I know the way this whole thing ends. Oh, you never heard before? It ends really well. It does. It's called whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's called no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor is it entered in the heart of the man what God has prepared for us. It means it's better than you could ever imagine. You know how it ends? It ends really well. It means all of the suffering and preparation that God has done in our lives to prepare us for his service will pay off exponentially. But we have to take advantage of it right here, right now, at this time. Amen? Amen. Come on, stand up. The band, come back up. We got a window of time, church. We got a window of time. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be indifferent. I don't want to be a dying church. I don't want to miss the opportunity and have to wait on somebody else to come along and save my friends. I don't want to miss the opportunity to wait on somebody else to come along and preach the gospel to this, to this town, to this county. I don't want to wait on somebody else to have to come along and go to the places God has sent us. Because you know what the painful part of it is? A dying church is painful enough, but the more painful part is when a dying church has to watch another church do their job. I've been there before. And it raises jealousy and all kinds of crazy stuff, and it's just weird. And God God said to me one day, like, Chris, if you get off your butt and do something... If you be purposeful about what I've called you to do, there's no reason that, that, I won't, that I won't use you in winning people and saving people. So maybe you're in the process and it doesn't make any sense. Maybe you've gotten the promotion and you're looking around going, hey, I don't. I'm not sure how this works, but I can guarantee you whether you're in the process or the promotion, there is a purpose and it's for now. It's for this time. It's for your life. It's for you to carry out. 
And one of the most exciting things that I think about this whole transition is I'm looking forward to see God working his will and his way in every single one of our lives and hearing story after story about, man, I seized the moment and this is what God did. Amen. Amen. And I want to tell you, I believe we've seen just a glimpse. I think about three years ago, I started saying this statement during offering time. And we picked it up. And some of our staff is hashtagging it now, which absolutely makes it official. <laughs> tell you, you start hashtagging stuff and God's like, whoa, serious now. I started praying this. God will take this gospel as far and wide as you'll give us the strength. Amen. You know what I want the story to be? A small church in Hedgesville, West Virginia took advantage of the opportunity God put in front of them and changed the world. Come on, I don't think you believe that. I, think, I don't think you believe that. I think, I think you just thought, oh, that's a cute thing. Isn't that cute? We could change the world. Orphan Jewish girl ended up in the palace. And if we'd have told that story before it happened, you'd have been like, there's no way. No way. No way. There's a lot of no ways happening nowadays if you haven't paid attention. Why not us? And why not now? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Come on, close your eyes, lift your hands. Come on, if you believe that, let's surrender our lives to him this morning. Maybe you're in the middle of the purpose. Maybe you're in the middle of the process and God is doing the beautification on you and and you're realizing that he is making you pure as gold, that he's changing your attitude, that that he's instilling faith into your life. Maybe he's doing that right now and you don't understand all of it, but what I need you to do is be confident that the process means something that he's preparing you for something maybe maybe he's maybe he's promoted you and you don't understand it yet i'm promising you today that there's a purpose behind that he's got a he's got his will and purpose for your life where you are right now and i promise you that the time is now that the window of opportunity is now father we ask you today to give us a holy confidence that you've called us. Give us a holy confidence that you're sending us. Give us a holy confidence this morning, Lord, that you have prepared us for this time, for this moment, for what you will have us do. We thank you for it, Lord. We thank you for it. Now listen, you have to be a child of the living God. Surrender your life to him or none of this will ever make sense. And you need to do it today. The window of opportunity is now. Make the decision today. Surrender your life to him. And he will direct your steps, the Bible says. I pray that you would make that decision. We're going to baptize people here in a little while that did. We're going to celebrate that. We want to celebrate you the same way. So make sure you make that decision today. Father, I pray your blessing on every single person in this room. As they go, as they come, Lord, I pray that your will be revealed in their lives. Seize the time. This is our time. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. 
Come on, church, give him honor and praise.